Hello, hello. All right, my bad, my bad, my bad. Anyways, it is a blessing to be here, especially on this Easter Sunday. Um, and yeah, looking forward to uh, just see how God continues to use you guys and grow you guys. Uh, Sam also promised me morangak for preaching, so I'm very thankful I came up by coming here. But anyways, we'll see about that. Uh, if you guys have God's word with you, why don't you turn with me to John. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And it was funny because I did meet up Sam this week and we talked about how we have the same passage and we were going back and forth. Uh, how exciting this passage was. But lo and behold, I'm here preaching it now at your own church. And, uh, but I'm thankful for this passage. Verse 1 to 44. It's a big passage. Um, and before I get to the sermon, let's just pray. Let's ask for God's help as we uh, look to his word now. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is merciful and gracious. That we as your people are reminded when we look to the cross that it was there our sins were laid upon the Son. And the wrath of God was satisfied upon him. We also look to the resurrection and we see the hope of Christ. The hope for sinners that we have in him. And we pray that as we learn more about the resurrection today, that Christ, you would increase. You would magnify yourself. You would reveal your glory to us. That we might be more committed and we might love Christ and give him all the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage before us today is one of the most significant passages concerning the resurrection. And despite this account not being about the resurrection of Jesus, we see one of the most important statements on the resurrection. And that is in verse 25. So look at verse 25 with me. Where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. But what does this mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And in what context does Jesus say this? Well, as some of you might know in John 11, it becomes clear that this statement of Jesus being the resurrection and the life is said in the context of the death of a man named Lazarus. Now, death is one of those topics that people today seek to avoid. Uh, we all know that death is coming for all of us. We all know that we do not know when that day will be, but it will surely come. Uh, Charles Spurgeon quotes, we are all like trees marked for the axe. And the fall of one should remind us that for everyone, whether great as the cedar or humble as the fir, the appointed hour is stealing on swiftly. And who in the world is happy when talking about death? In fact, currently right now, my family, we actually live in Whittier. That's a great city, by the way. But uh, when we drive, we often pass by Rose Hills. And if you don't know where Rose Hills is, it's a mortuary. It's a memorial park located in Whittier. And I must say, every time I drive by Whittier um, in, at Rose Hills, I have to take a pause. Uh, there's many people there who are buried. However, despite the pain and sorrow of death, the truth is there are so many lessons also we can learn from death. For example, when it comes to death, we are reminded of how broken this world is. 
We live in a fallen and broken world. Moreover, when it comes to death, we are reminded that our lives are fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow, and whatever we are pursuing this life, it will all come to an end one day. This leads us to another lesson concerning death. And that is we see our need for a savior. Uh, we see our need for hope and life. And the point is we see our need for Jesus. And beloved, this is what this passage in John 11 is all about. It's not about just some miracle about Jesus raising the dead. Nor is this about trying to get Jesus to raise the dead of those whom we love. But it is about Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. Well, what about Jesus do we learn here in this passage? Well, we find five truths of Jesus. That is our outline for today. We have five truths concerning Jesus. Let's begin with the first truth. We learn of the love of Jesus. That is the first point. The love of Jesus here. Look now at verse 1. It says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now when we read the Gospels, we come to find the love of Jesus, especially for this precious family of Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. In fact, you guessed it right. This is the same Mary and Martha in Luke 10 where Martha is busy trying to be hospitable to Jesus. But Mary is what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. But moreover, John makes note here in verse 2 that this also is the same Mary who would pour out her costly perfume to anoint the feet of Jesus. And she would wipe his feet with her hair. And it was there we see this woman, Mary, uh, show an example of love and devotion to Jesus Christ. So clearly these siblings love Jesus, and it's obvious that he also loves them. In fact, that is emphasized throughout this account in these 44 verses. Look at verse 5. John tells us there that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In fact, even when we look at verse 3, as Jesus is no longer in Bethany, it tells us there that the sister sent word to him and that through a messenger saying, Lord, behold, he whom you what? Love is sick. Now, there are more verses here in a passage that emphasize the love of Jesus for this family, but you get the point. In fact, his love for them is also shown in the very fact that Jesus right now is willing to go back to Bethany upon hearing this news of Lazarus' sickness. And why is that so significant? Well, because we learn in context in the chapter right before in chapter 10, verse 30, go there with me. That Jesus was at Jerusalem right before this, which is only about two miles away from Bethany. And it was in Jerusalem in John 10. This is what Jesus did. He declared before the people in Jerusalem that he and the Father are one. So he was pretty much saying, I am God. And what happened as a result of this statement? Verse 31. Look at verse 31 with me. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, which just means they're willing at this point to execute Jesus on the spot. So the hostility against Jesus in Jerusalem was at an all-time high. 
So what happens in verse 39, go to verse 39, they were seeking again to seize him. But what happened? He eluded their grasp. He escaped. And verse 40 tells us he went away again beyond the Jordan and he was staying there. So again, it was clear that right now, while Jesus is in Jordan, on the way to Bethany, Jerusalem was a place of great danger. And going back to our passage, upon hearing this news of Lazarus being sick, it becomes clear that Jesus would have to cross Jerusalem to get to Bethany. But does that matter to Jesus? Of course not. He is still willing to go. Why? Because of his love for this family. In fact, look at, verse, uh, look at the verse. And after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And what Jesus means here is that the time will soon come where Jesus will no longer be with them. Which is why while he is with them, he must do the Father's will. And it's quite humorous when considering the disciples in witnessing the determination of Jesus to go back. Look at verse 16. What does Thomas say? Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. We all have a Thomas in our group of friends, right? The pessimist, the doubter. But also the one who's always down. He's saying, all right, if we're going to go to Jerusalem, go back there, let's all die. Let's all die with Jesus. This is it. And the passage so far is straightforward. Jesus is determined to go back to Bethany because of his love. But there is also confusion in this passage. Look with me at verse 6. Because upon hearing this news, what does Jesus do? So when he heard that he was sick, he then what? Stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And the question is why? Why in the world, if Jesus, you love this family, why are you staying for two days? Why the delay? I mean, wouldn't we expect Jesus to go immediately? I mean, think about it. If someone you love said, I am dying, we're not going to be like, all right, I'm going to wait two days. This makes no sense. Jesus, don't you love Lazarus? First, it is important to know that it turns out that by the time this message got to Jesus, Lazarus was actually already dead. How do we know this? Look at verse 17. It says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. And this makes sense because when Mary and Martha sent the message to Jesus, getting to Jordan would take about a day. He stayed two days and went back another day. So that's what? Four days. So Jesus has known Lazarus is already dead. In fact, look at verse 11 to 14. He said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They're just thinking he's literally asleep. 
Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So we know that when the message arrived, Jesus knows he's dead. But still, this begs the question, why delay? He could still go and comfort Mary and Martha. He can still be there when they are burying him or something. In fact, this seems to be the statement Martha and Mary make when they finally encounter Jesus. Look at verse 20. When Martha sees Jesus, what is the first thing she says? It says, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jump down to verse 32. Mary, the same, same words as her sister Martha. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, they are both saying what? Where were you? Why did you take so long to get here? Here is the answer, and it's actually found in verse 5. Go to verse 5. The reason Jesus delayed was because of his love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. It is because of love he delayed. Notice it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and met Lazarus, So, meaning, therefore, because he loved them, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And again, it begs the question, how is this loving? How does that make any sense? Friends, get this. The love of God is not on display when he just meets our requests. We have to... Remember that. Just because he does not do what he wants you to do does not mean he does not love you. Perhaps some of you are waiting for something yourselves. Maybe you have some kind of affliction that you are facing and you want this to go away. Maybe some of you are waiting for something like a spouse, something good. We see here such times of affliction and question should not make us question the love of Jesus. In fact, we see the love of Jesus in a way that we can never fathom or imagine. And how do we see this? Look at verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Or in other words, Jesus is saying he will use this moment to teach this family more about his glory, more about himself. God will use this to reveal the glory of his son. And listen, that is the most loving thing our God can do for his people. This will be for their good and for the glory of God. Mary and Martha will now have their faith strengthened. Do you understand that, friends, that even in the delay, God still uses that to glorify himself, and it is for your good because he loves you. He loves you. 
And not only the faith of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, look also at verse 14 and 15. This also will be the good for his disciples. So then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. So that what? You may believe. But let us go to him. Let us go to him. But what is it about Jesus that Jesus wants to reveal here? What about his glory? That is the question now. Well, this leads us to our second truth about Jesus. From the love of Jesus to now the hope of Jesus. The hope. Look now again at verse 17 to 21. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But then look at verse 22. She says an interesting statement. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Martha is saddened that Jesus came kind of late. But at the same time, we still see the faith of Martha where she understands that even Christ being here is still good. Uh, He will still use this for the glory of God. In response, what does Jesus say? Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha then said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, what is going on here? I mean, shouldn't Martha have been thrilled? Like, Jesus just came. It's been four days later. But he's just saying, your brother's going to rise again. She should have been happy. Well, it turns out when Jesus tells Martha this truth, she is not connecting the dots here. She is not thinking that Jesus will rise him from the dead right now. But rather, she is recalling what she learned as a faithful Jew growing up. And that is the doctrine of the resurrection. What do I mean by that? If you do not know what this is, this just means that there is coming a time where all people, everyone, will one day rise again. We will be raised from the dead and all the souls in heaven and hell will be joined again with their bodies. And there is coming a judgment when all people will stand before God. And the godly will enter into eternal life. And the ungodly with their bodies will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. That is the resurrection. And this will happen in the last day, in the second coming of Christ. So the point being, when Jesus says your brother will rise, Martha is thinking the end times. She's thinking, I know he's going to rise. It's going to happen later. But what she does not see now is what would happen to her brother at this moment. So look at verse 25. Jesus says to her this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, Martha, I know you are thinking about Lazarus on the last day. But what you have to know is this. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Meaning the resurrection is all dependent upon me. 
Meaning the focus right now should not merely be upon the realities of the end times, but the realities of the one who makes resurrection possible, who gives eternal life. That life and death and eternal life and eternal death all hang in the balance. And what it's, it's dependent upon is if you believe in me. No wonder Jesus asked her at the end of verse 26, what does he say? Look there. He says, do you believe this? Right here we see one of the greatest confessions of faith in all the Bible. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So Martha has the right understanding of Jesus. She knows he's the promised Christ. She knows he is the Savior for sinners. She knows he is the hope for sinners. The question is, does she believe she can or he can raise her brother from the dead? Well, this leads us to our third truth. The third truth concerning Jesus. We saw the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus. We now turn to the righteousness of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus. Look at verse 31. It says, when she, or verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 28. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Then verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Now, I know today we live in a time where there's some interesting occupations, right? I think with social media, the internet, people are finding different kinds of jobs everywhere. Now, I don't know if it can top how interesting this job was, all right? Because it was actually Jewish custom for families, when someone died, to hire professional mourners. I don't know if you know anyone who would be good at this job, but they would go to these places of death, and they would mourn alongside the family. They would weep and cry. In fact, this was not just kind of any kind of weeping, but they would wail. They would scream out together and express grief in a noisy and an unrestrained fashion. Interesting thinking about this in context because these people, I mean, it's not that they were just fake. Maybe some of them were, but maybe some of them were genuine. They, they really felt the pains of death. As we had just read in verse 33, this is exactly what Jesus sees before him. He sees, he comes to, to Mary and he sees all this wailing and weeping. And he sees this crying. And what does Jesus' response? It says at the end of verse 33, it says, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Now what does this mean, deeply moved in spirit? Well, when we study the Greek here, the, the English does not do justice for this translation. Because the word literally means this. 
snorting of horses. Snorting of horses. What, what does that mean? I mean, have you guys heard of horse snort? It's like sharp. It's, it's loud. I don't want to do it in front of you guys. But you know what I'm talking about. And, and this word means that Jesus was outraged. He was angry. So, so the English translation tries to soften it as if he's just sighing this, this, this breath of, of sadness. But no, this is a word of snorting. This is a word of anger. And the question is, why is Jesus angry? We see so much irony here. This is a moment of sadness. One thing we have to remember when it comes to Jesus is that his anger is not like our anger. Correct? Our anger is tainted with sin. Our anger is, it explodes at times. It's self-centered. It's prideful. Jesus, on the other hand, has anger that is holy. It is righteous and just. And his anger is always justified. And perhaps you don't think about his anger enough. We just are cool with having the love of Jesus, but we forget that Jesus also has anger. A holy anger. But the question is, what is the object of his anger? It becomes clear that in the midst of the weeping and wailing, Jesus is angry, get this, towards the heart of unbelief. Considering these Jews around him, Mary and Martha even, Jesus has revealed to them countless of times of who he is. Martha even confessed, you're the son of God. The Christ who is to come. However, even when their confession says that, in this moment, in times of despair, they don't believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? And how we can fall into the same thing. We have the confession. We know he loves us. But in our moment of crisis, we have hearts of unbelief. And Jesus is angry. Jesus is angry. He has a righteous anger. But not only is he angry. Look at verse 34. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus what? Wept. Jesus on the one hand was angry. And on the other hand, he wept. And the word here is not the wailing and crying like these Jews but this weeping points to a silent bursting of tears. It points to great sorrow in Jesus' heart. And remember, just like his anger is righteous, his sorrow is righteous as well. It's not tainted with sin. And why is he sorrowful? And there is no way he is sorrowful over Lazarus. Why? He's about to raise him from the dead. It becomes clear the object of his sorrow is the same object of his anger, and it is what? Unbelief. That same sin that prompted outrage generates now his sorrow. As much as he is angry towards unbelief, he also weeps. When we do not trust in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this reminds us of who Jesus is. He is God incarnate. He is what Isaiah 53 says, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. 
If you are confused by this, how can it be outraged and sorrowful? Well, let me give you another example. You guys remember the Pharisees? Jesus was not happy with them. He will often call them out for the hypocrisy and say, woe to you. But in his triumphal entry, when he came into Jerusalem, what is the one thing he did? He wept. He wept. I think for us, we often forget the heart of our Savior. Yes, he loves us. Clearly, he loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus. He loves sinners when they come to repentance. But we also see a righteous anger and a righteous sorrow over unbelief. And this should matter if you're a Christian today. This is the kind of Lord that we serve. Turning back to our passage, Jesus weeps. They're confused. But then look at the verse. In verse 36, the response. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So what does Jesus do? This leads us to our fourth truth. We saw the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus, but fourth, the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. Look now at verse 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may what? Believe that you sent me. Again, what is the point of Jesus doing this? Is it about the miracle? No, it's about. Jesus. And so verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now listen, I, I do, I think Pastor Tom just said it, but I do have two kids right now. I do have a daughter, and I, I just never grew up with a sister, so I don't really know girls too well, I mean, apart from my wife, obviously. But our daughter, uh, man, when she turned three this year, it just, it was so different. My son, when he turned three, he was, he was pretty similar. But when she turned three, I understood what three-nager meant. Three-nager. I was like, man, that is sin. That is rebellion. What is going on here? In fact, even just last night, um, she was just downstairs and she was just, I think she was like playing with a toy. And I told her, Lori, go up and get ready for bed. And literally she just, she don't even look at me. She just stay, stares at her toy and pretends like she didn't hear I say, Lori, go upstairs and get ready for bed. And she just, and I'll have to remind her of my authority and say, I'm your appa, I'm your daddy, go up right now. And she'll still ignore me. And so what do I do to show my authority? I pick her up, put her on my back, and take her to her room. Well, notice here the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus simply through his word, and not to a toddler, but to a dead man who's been there for four days. It reminds us of the book of Genesis when God 
by what? His word spoke all things to existence. Well, here God the Son declares with his voice, Lazarus, come forth. Come out. And what happens? The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Friends, what authority is this? Well, this points to the authority that is reserved for God alone. And perhaps we're wondering again, what's the point of this? Does this mean that Jesus can raise anyone now? Should we now bring our dead to Jesus and say, please raise him to life? Well, again, that is not the point. Jesus is not the means to get what you want, but Jesus does these miracles so that we would see our need for him. He is the Savior. He is the one who gives life. He is the one that I need. And this leads us to one more question. How does believing in Jesus give me life? This leads us to our last and most important point. We saw the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. But lastly, we now look to the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. So how does Jesus' resurrection guarantee our resurrection, our eternal life? Well, this is the glorious gospel of the scriptures. While man, we were created to know God and to love God and to enjoy him forever, what did man do instead? Man sinned against God, rebelling against him, turning to his own way. And this we know, it happened where in the Garden of Eden, as God told Adam, don't eat of that tree. You can enjoy all these things, just don't eat of that tree. Lest you do, you will die. You will surely die. And despite knowing the consequence of what would happen, Adam still turned to his own way and rebelled against God. And friends, this is when sin came into the world. And it separated man in his relationship with God, putting man then at hostility towards God, resulting in death. And that's not just simply a physical death, but also an eternal death. Uh, there is sin in our lives, is it not? There is sin in this world and sin in our hearts. And what we deserve when we stand before a holy and just God is the wrath of God. We deserve his eternal death in hell. That separates us from the goodness of God and places us in the presence of only his wrath. And the question then is, how can sinners be right with God? Well, this is where the glorious gospel is highlighted. Because, friends, what then did God do? What was his eternal plan from eternity past? 2,000 years ago, God, by his grace, sent his son, Jesus. Because man could not obey God, God came in the flesh. And as God came in the flesh, he lived that perfect and sinless and holy life. As the God-man, he alone was qualified to be the sacrifice for our sins. And what did Christ do? He laid down his life for sinners by going to a cross. And it was on the cross the Father would pour out his wrath upon the Son. 
And Jesus died the death that we should have died. And upon his death, he was buried. And three days later, what happened? He rose again. And he defeated death. He conquered sin. And he accomplished salvation for us. And sealed our own resurrection. That we don't have to fear that day when we stand before God in judgment. Because we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he has done this for who? All those who have placed their faith and trust in him. You guys know the passage in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's about believing in Jesus. And if there is any non-Christian here today or anyone who's struggling with their faith, you need to know this message is what you need today. That there is now a way unto life. There is eternal life at hand, and you can now be with God. You can be reconciled with God and be forgiven of your sins, and that is through believing in Jesus. Ephesians 2 tells us that if you're a non-Christian here today, you are actually dead in your sins. You are dead. But friend, God is a merciful God, and he calls sinners to come, to, to be reconcile to him, to believe in Jesus. And if you turn and place your faith in Jesus, Jesus, just as he called Lazarus from the dead, saying, come forth, Christ can also give you new life today and give you eternal life. Going back to our passage in verse 25, this is what it means for Jesus to say, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Our greatest need in this world is who? Jesus Christ. So as we come to a close, what precious truths we have learned today concerning the resurrection. We saw the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. All these pointing to our need for him. And as I close... Uh, For the believers here today, I want to say one word. I leave you with what Jesus asked Martha in verse 26. What did he say? Dear Christian, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because, you know, just because you say you believe it is not enough. Because if we believe this, this changes everything. Listen, this means your greatest need even now is not money. It's not a spouse. It's not for your circumstances to change. It's not for the dead to be raised to life. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ, and you have him. You have him because you've placed your faith in him, and he alone can satisfy your heart. Maybe we've been looking for satisfaction elsewhere, but our need is always there in Jesus Christ. Our need for him is just as great as when the day we first believed. And may we be reminded on this Resurrection Sunday that Christ is our greatest need. And Christ is our hope. And we can now live for him. 
We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to fear that which is to come. Our hope is in Jesus, our Savior and our King. Let us pray. At this time, I do want to invite you guys to have a moment of just reflection, uh, praying in light of this. Because it's not enough, again, to just say we believe. But have we really trusted in Jesus with our lives? Have we submitted our lives to him? I would invite all of us to evaluate our hearts and look to Christ. Look to Christ, our Savior and our Lord.